When you want the latest on what's happening in golf in and around Oklahoma, you go to the source. The Golf Oklahoma Report with Ken McLeod on the Blitz 1170. All right, let's uh, hit up the hotline and welcome in Ken McLeod with the Golf Oklahoma Report here on the Blitz 1170 and streaming live on the Blitz 1170 app. What's going on, Ken? How are you today, my friend? I'm very good. How are you guys? Doing well, hanging in there on this afternoon uh, after a week off for you, back at it today. And I notice what a brand new issue of Golf Oklahoma on the uh, on the newsstands uh, and online. So tell us a little bit about what's in the August-September 2023 version of uh, the magazine. Yeah, uh, this is kind of an issue. We're doing a heavy preview of the upcoming Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame class of 2023, which is going to be inducted at Southern Hills in, in November. So we have features on Stacy Promenasud, uh, Mike Hewitt, and um, Bo Winninger, who was one of the first um, members of the first Oklahoma State golf team, helped start that proud tradition. But with Stacy and Mike, it was kind of a, a trip down memory lane for me because I've covered both of them for so long. And, and our, our cover story, we have – Mike uh, posing at a table uh, with 24 plates on it to represent the 24 OGA championships he's won. It says party of 24, question mark. So, um, you know, Mike's had one of the more amazing amateur careers in the state. And uh, second time we've inducted a strictly amateur golfer into the Hall of Fame. And of course, Stacy, I first covered her, I think, when she won her first Woga Jr. at about age 11. I said, man, that little girl <laughs> can really play. And sure enough, she won it next six years in a row and won high school championships three out of four years and went on to TU and won as many tournaments there as anyone. Uh, one short of Nancy Lopez's record and then took it straight from there to the LPGA Tour where she was a two-time winner, Solheim Lime Cup uh, winner, and um, just had a great career out there. So, um, you know, straight from Enid to the LPGA Tour, quite a story. And uh, she's going to be one of the five folks inducted this fall. So that's kind of the highlight of the issue. And uh, I open it up with my column as a take on this uh, proposed ball rollback, uh, which the PGA of America and the PGA tour are not in favor of, but I'm like, come on guys, the USDA and the RNA spent years studying this. This is what they proposed as the most efficient way to limit the distances and, and prevent these, all these great venues from being, um, you know, ops, made obsolete, um, and I think there's a lot of selfishness going on with the takes from the PGA Tour. Um, I've had great arguments with Pat McCray, whom you guys know over at Fortune Park, because he's saying everybody wants to be able to play the same ball as the pros because then that, they can relate to to what the pros are doing. And I said I could no more relate to a 357-yard <laughs> drive by Rory McIlroy than I can to an alien landing in my <laughs> That's my take on that. Well, so I think, Ken, I think that's a good place to start. So I, I guess my first question is, um, how, how did we come to this? And I know that this seems to have been an option for a lot of the governing bodies since tiger proofing kind of became a thing. Many, many right. courses have already been extended, sometimes at the detriment of sustainability and also pace of play, just so you could gain a little bit of distance. Um, but to, it, I, is that is that probably a good place to start on this about where you go back in the genesis of trying to roll the ball back? Well, I mean, you guys look at what they did at Southern Hills 
and last two times they played it with them for even for the uh state amateur they had to do the same thing for these kids you know like on hole number three they put the tee back on the par three number six behind it um number 12 they can't take any further back used to be one of the great par fours in the country now it's a driver flip sand wedge um you know six is pushed back to the top of the hill um, just uh, number 13, the other par five, they pushed back to the other side of the green on 12, so they're hitting over the green. Just to give them, you know, and how much further can you stretch? You know, Southern Hills, that's stretching it to the limit. Uh, if they're hitting it another 50 yards next time a major's here, then what do you do? I think rolling the ball back makes sense. Um, if it's just a ball that only is going to be used for PGA Tour events, Corn Ferry Tour events, and maybe the top USDA or collegiate events. What do I care? What does anybody in my group care? What does anybody in my golf league care if they don't play the same ball, if we're still still using the slightly longer ball? Um, it's not going to affect us at all if these guys who have a 120-mile-an-hour mile swing speed are hitting it 5 to 10 yards less. Or, you know, it's going to end up only holding them in check for a few years. It's not going to be any significant rollback because every year they get longer. What do the manufacturers feel about this, Ken, and that you've been able to put they together? Like <laughs> Especially the ball manufacturers, because that means they got to ramp up a different ball for these guys, you know. And but you know, and of course, that's where the the pros are. You know, they're giving the pros their equipment for free, their balls for free. They're um, sponsoring them in a lot of cases. They're paying them a lot of money. So, of course, the pros are going to say, you know, leave the ball alone. But they. Uh, uh, you know, as far as their extra expense, I mean, uh, it's not going to cost the equipment manufacturers. I think it's going to cost the ball manufacturers an extra line of production. Um, well, not only that, but what about ball, research? Ball they can't market it. Research and development, too, because, you know, they're, they're responsible for trying to keep the players happy with whatever version, and good luck with that. If you think that I would even want to be the middleman in any of that nonsense that's going on, uh, besides just the manufacturing part, but R and D to make sure that all the uh, big time guys that are playing playing your product are are happy. Good luck with that, man. Yeah, I don't know. You know, with the specifications that the RNA and the USA have outlined, how much more R and D would be necessary to create this ball. Um, but whatever it is, you know, it would have to meet those specifications. And, and uh, as far as the the flight and the but yeah, that's that's a question beyond me as to how much R and D would have to go into it. You know, after all the research and development that RNA and USDA have already done to create this ball that meets these specifications, uh, I'm sure there'd be some, and, and I'm but I'm sure that it wouldn't be as great as the outcry that you'll hear. So. What um, what have been the majority of the comments from some of the players? I, I went through and just did a quick little search on um, there was a. A little site here that put together some comments on this. I'll just read one from Peter Uline. He said, the funniest thing to me is the USGA acting like equipment companies have taken advantage of a system that they, the governing bodies, have put in place. These regulations were the ones that they established, not the equipment company's fault for trying to innovate. That's the way the world works. You try to innovate. It seems like that the majority of these either think that they're silly or, like Keegan Bradley said, hey, this is way too extreme. Most of them seem like they're in the same, at least on the same page with this. Yeah, the players are gonna are the ones. Uh, the reason that they're 
governing body, the PGA Tour, has come out and said that they're not in favor of it. Um, Peter Uline, of course, is the son of Wally Uline, who for years and years was the CEO of Titleist Kushnet, which makes the Titleist Golf Ball, which is going to have to spend money to put out this new restricted flight golf ball. So there you go on where that's coming from. Um, but the, uh, you know, I think the majority of the players are only interested in, in themselves and how far they can drive it and how much money that means to them and equipment contracts and sponsorships and, and scoring. So uh, good of the game is least, you know, and uh, what it's going to do the, to the golf courses that host these PGA Tour events or major championships is way, way down their list of things that they care about. So I'm uh, not surprised at all about the players' comments, um, you know, doing nothing to rein them in, letting drives reach 400 yards. It's probably fine with them, but I don't think it's a great thing for golf. How long would that process take to implement, do you think? Well, I'm sure that with all the research and development they've already done, not very long. Uh, I think they could, you know, the, even under proposals that they put out, it wasn't until, what, 2026 that they're supposed to be implementing the ball. So they've got two more years to, to do it before, even if they adopted it this year. Interesting indeed with what's happening. Uh, before we kind of dive into more on the uh, on the local front, since we're kind of talking big picture here, Let's go ahead and transition here, Ken, to the story that came out about Phil and some of his gambling. Uh, don't worry, we'll, we'll, sure. we'll dive in. Uh, listeners that want to hear on the local front, especially the big bond issue with uh, Paige Belcher and Mohawk. Um, but Phil and his gambling, now Phil has come out and denied ever gambling on the Ryder Cup. Rory had a great line earlier this week that said, well, he may not have gambled on the Ryder Cup uh, previously, according to him. And uh, if he wants to gamble on it, on it this year, he's allowed to do so now with a little jab there back at Phil. What's your overall take on maybe some of the new numbers that we understand now about Phil and just the ultimate level that it, that it was going to when all the stories were coming out a year ago or, or over a year ago, um, right before the PGA at Southern Hills, where we had a few numbers that were thrown around in a couple of different books, we knew that he did have a problem and he had admitted it and that he's been able to seek treatment for it. But something like this comes out and you're like, okay, that gives me a little bit more context as to exactly what he was doing and just how much and how, for, how far in depth that this actually went. Yeah, there's a couple of great stories out there, one by – uh, Michael Rosenberg at Sports Illustrated, one by Eamon Lynch at Golf Week, um, just kind of analyzing, you know, everything that Phil's done now in context of what's come out to light in Billy Matthews' new book. So um, he says he didn't gamble on the Ryder Cup, but like Eamon points out in his column, how do we know that he didn't, anybody who was that desperate and that addicted to gambling, that the PGA Tour and or whoever uh, can go back and forensically analyze whether or not Mickelson actually placed bets on the Ryder Cup, you know, a, an event that he was poised to influence one way or the other, where he bet on his team to win or an individual match or something where he could, you know, easily let a four-foot putt slide past the hole and and make or lose a million dollars. Um, you know, this could be like the Black Sox scandal or college point shaving or that NBA referee who was shaving points. I mean, you know, Phil bet on golf tournaments that he was involved in. Um, 
there's got to be, you know, that's got to be found out at this point um, after what's come to light from this book that obviously we haven't all read yet, but boy, when he admits that he wanted to bet on the Ryder Cup, you think he might have found a way to do it, don't you? Yeah, there's uh, there's some of that for sure. And by the way, this book comes out on August 23rd, and I think most people around what is a – I mean, Phil's story is incredibly complicated. I mean, it's even hard to kind of wrap everything up into, you know, even a, a show within 30 minutes, Ken. But I think now most people are just kind of sitting there thinking, what else could potentially be in this book that we learn about this scenario coming up on August 23rd? Well, you know, Alan Sipnuck has some uh, excerpts on the Fire Pit Collective, and they're mostly about the gambling. I don't think we're going to learn a whole lot else about Phil that we didn't already know, uh, except in that particular arena. I don't, I don't think they were real running, but, I'm, I, you know, who am I to, to judge on that? But um, we'll sort of find out. It's going to be interesting. I'll be getting a copy of it pretty soon after it comes out. Yeah, if, if it is found out that he well was – if it is found out that he was gambling on the Ryder Cup, I mean, he, he doesn't play on the tour. Like, what is there to take away from him? Is it is you just take away his ability to play in the majors? Well, sure. I mean, yeah, he would never be allowed to play in a major again if he's – I mean, all the golf major, you know, governing bodies would have to ban him. And I would think even Liv would have to if they have any integrity at all, especially whatever Liv exists under this new, you know – agreement that's still being hammered out um, probably won't be done until the end of the year but um, if he bet on you know gambled on an event that he was playing in I would say he'd have to be banned from ever playing professional golf again so I mean, we'll, I'm not saying that happened but um, wow <laughs> you know the depths of his addiction to gambling I did not quite understand how how great they uh, they were just knowing that he was a gambler and, and inverted gambler, but $100 million in losses, a billion dollars in um, wagers laid, that's, that's pretty serious. Well, and I, this had always been kind of out there, at least in a, in a think tank type of, of situation. But, and I don't know if there's any way to prove it at all, but if, if he was in such a, a, a state of financial dire or stress around the time that the live thing was happening. And, and Phil has been very vocal about this is why I pursued this. This is why we did this. And it really had nothing to do with the fact that he might be facing significant financial troubles. And if there's any way possible to paint a picture or at least, you know, draw a straight line from one dot to the other, that may be one of the reasons why it wasn't for the integrity or the or the goodness and the greatness of the game to move forward that he took money and kind of blew up professional golf as you know it simply because he was in too much of a gambling debt uh, and like i said this is all speculative i i don't i don't know any of this to be true and i don't think that it'd be very difficult to even prove that but if that is the case ken that is another major bombshell right that would that would kind of add so much more fuel to what's happening with the great unknown with the sport of golf right now. I don't, I don't even know if you could be able to put it into words, how big of a story that that is. Well, Rosenberg points out that, you know, Phil was totally wrong about that. The PGA tour was sitting on $20 billion in digital assets that were owed to the players. And, and he knew it, you know, you don't, you don't get those digital asset rights if you're in the NBA or the NFL to your own, 
plays and, and golfers have never done it. And even Lynch's, you know, the opening lines of his column, I, I could pull it back up, but we're, we're that, you know, Phil knew he was getting in bed with a regime that uh, kills gays, restrict, you know, um, does terrible things to women, uh, has a horrible record on human rights, all because of his gambling debts. So, um, you know, the, the pull of, uh, it's obviously that nothing mattered to him at that point except getting out of debt. So, uh, all of his talk about doing this for the players and to, and to you know, change golf, well, he changed it all right. But I'm not sure how altruistic it was. Yep, different landscape for sure. Uh, let's uh, catch our first time out here. We'll come back. We've got a lot more to talk about on the local front, including four locals making the cut in the U.S. Amateur. Uh, we've got the bond issue vote that's going to happen with Paige Belcher and Mohawk Park, plus many others, including the Corn Ferry Tour, as the playoffs have be, uh, will begin next week and what the status of our locals are. We'll do all of that with Ken McLeod here on the Golf Oklahoma Report when we come back after this timeout. At LaFortune Park in South Lakes, all are welcome. The Par 3 LaFortune is the perfect venue for date night or fun with friends. The championship courses at LaFortune in South Lakes have premier practice facilities and are fully staffed with PGA professionals offering beginner programs, custom club fitting, private instruction, and get golf ready classes. The pro shops here have all the latest equipment, apparel, and the restaurants have a full range of food and beverages. LaFortune Park in South Lakes, where Tulsa County plays golf. Reward yourself with the ultimate golf outing at Oklahoma's Ultimate Golf Resort, Shangri-La on Northeast Oklahoma's beautiful Grand Lake. Enjoy 27 holes of top five championship golf, an incredible new 18-hole par three course, and the luxurious atmosphere of a fabulous resort hotel with pool and spa. 45 holes of unparalleled golf at Shangri-La Resort. Shangri-La Resort when you're ready to escape the ordinary. The club at Forest Ridge and Broken Arrow is a semi-private club that transcends the ordinary with its world-class amenities and unparalleled services. An award-winning 18-hole golf course, an unmatched golfing experience, complemented by a private social club with access to a state-of-the-art gym, resort-style pool, tennis, pickleball, and more. Indulge in ultimate relaxation and rejuvenation with their exceptional facilities that cater to your fitness and leisure needs. The club at Forest Ridge and Broken Arrow, where luxury meets perfection. Swing over to Tulsa's only 10,000 square foot indoor country club. Tour Quality Golf at 61st and Sheridan is a golf store for the beginner golfer to the seasoned pro. At Tour Quality Golf, you gain extra yards and straighter shots through their premium club fitting and personal golf lessons. Take advantage of a free 20-minute simulator experience along with a complimentary grip, posture, and alignment check totally free. Come experience Tulsa's only indoor country club at 61st and Sheridan next to Teamos. Find them at TourQualityGolf.com or go by 61st and Sheridan and elevate your game today. From the gorgeous tree-lined fairways of the Perry Maxwell-influenced Woodbine and Pecan Valley courses at Mohawk Park to Paige Belcher's standout layouts Old Page and Stone Creek, the excitement of Tulsa Golf, providing the perfect venue for your next round, tournament, or special event. Offering PGA professional programming. Welcome to golf for adult golf beginners, PGA Junior Camps, PGA Junior League, and events for golfers of all skill levels. Contact Brianna Wills, Director of Instruction at 918 728-2171 or visit TulsaGolf.org for tee times, pricing, and more. 
All right, welcome back. 342 here on the Blitz 1170. It's the Golf Oklahoma Report with Kim McLeod. My name is Jeremy Poplin. Colby Daniels alongside Bryce Hulse as well. Uh, Ken, let's talk a little bit about this bond issue, what it means for Paige Belcher and Mohawk Park, because the Improve Our Tulsa and the three capital improvement packages passed easily in the recent vote. So what does that mean for those courses? Yeah, it's great, uh, Pop. This is a uh, first time that the city's invested in capital improvements project in a couple of decades, probably. And, you know, the first priority is to get an updated watering system uh, installed out at Mohawk Park. New pump station's already been ordered. And um, the second big project that pays is hopefully to use a good portion of that $8 million that, that the voters thankfully uh, gave us to um, try to get a different way to water the course out there, maybe using gray water pumped up from the Arkansas River instead of paying that top dollar rate that this Tulsa Metropolitan Utility Authority charges the city our city courses now. Um, you know, long-term to have affordable water and water, you know, in the past that's caused all those kinds of issues at both courses. I think if people, you know, we've been very blessed by Mother Nature this summer. If, you know, a problem we had two years ago at Page was large areas with nothing but dirt, and now everybody's complaining that they can't find their balls and all the uh, thick, lush grass we've got out there. So there's already been a huge transformation in the last few years with a greater commitment uh, on down the line from the city, the Troon, to the uh, obviously the Golf Course Improvement Committee has been working hard to encourage some things to go in a positive direction and. I think golfers who are playing the city courses right now, um, we've still got some things we're working on, but uh, there's already been a tr- huge transition from what you saw 32 years ago. So we're going in the right direction. Well, there's no doubt. And the numbers I just saw today were uh, for the um, uh, over budget for, uh, not over budget, but exceeded budget for rounds and revenue from in July from a considerable standpoint out at page. So I think it's being recognized. Well, there, there's no question, Ken, that you go back and and look. I think the the number that you were using was two years ago. It's night and day out there. If if you have not been out to Stone Creek or or Old Page, and haven't checked out what they've done out there, now the important part of this is that they've got good people that are out there working that actually care about what they're doing. And that's not any knock on anyone that was there previously at all. It's just you've got two really good people that that care about the product that they're placing out there for everyone else. I know Jason Casey is one of those superintendents uh, that's that's out there. Those guys care, and you can absolutely tell the difference. Even though, yes, we've been fortunate with the weather, it's the other changes that have happened. Now you just needed to provide them with the tools that they needed in order to make sure that they could keep those improvements moving forward because you're already starting to reap the reward of what we've seen. Oh, exactly. The, uh, you know, the sodding and tree removal and uh, just general new grading project that we did two years ago has already resulted in a tremendous transformation at Page Belcher and, you know, the restructuring of the green fees. Uh, there was some initial grumbling about it, which is certainly understandable, but it's given the superintendent and his staff and the whole maintenance budget such a boost to be charging, you know, regular kind of what everybody else in the market is charging instead of these ridiculous uh, programs they had out there where you were paying a fee at the, in January and basically playing free by the end of May for the rest of the year or buying a card and playing for 15, 18 bucks a round on a weekend morning. I mean, that can't compete with 
you know, what they're charging at LaFortune or Bailey or Battle or on down the line uh, where they have good maintenance budgets. So, you know, it's been a total restructuring of operations and uh, intent, I think, and um, just to get back and, you know, because Stone Creek, as you said, Pop, is one of the more entertaining yes. uh, layouts in the state and should be in great shape, and now it's approaching that, and we're going to get there. Uh, and I think the passing of the bond is a huge issue for, you know, the long-term betterment of both facilities, and we're just a few thousand dollars away on this million-dollar match program that was put up two years ago by the city council, too. Um, we need to get over that, and then we can do a lot more with, you know, bunkers need to be done at all four horses. Uh, a lot of tree trimming remains to be done at Mohawk Park to provide better sunlight so when we do get the new irrigation system, all the turf improvements will last. So I'm very excited with the way things are going, but a little bit more to do, obviously. So I know that you're a part of the golf course advisory committee. Uh, there are several others that are on that, including Nick Sidorkis. Um it probably does just a little bit, right? <laughs> I know that you guys probably don't want to take credit for for anything that's there, but I mean, this has been this has been part of of your urging, and I know it's taken a lot to finally get the city, you know, to um, admit and to all awesome, uh, actually come together and and maintain its own golf facilities uh, the way that it has here. But you guys have done a lot of work behind the scenes in order to to get this thing moving in the right direction. Well, on America at the press conference when they announced that PGA of America was donating 250000 to the million, said, Ken, this is a celebration of you being a nag. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of accurate. Though. Okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> my role over the years. Uh, all right, quickly before we get set to wrap up here, let's talk about our four locals that are making the uh, cut in the uh, U.S. Amateur. Yeah, um, we've got two Sooners and two Cowboys who are playing right now in match play. They advanced through the round of 64 yesterday. Um, Jonas Bumgartner and, uh, from OSU and a young man named uh, uh, incoming freshman Stout. What's his first name? Um, just one blank. Preston Stout. Preston, that's he, right. He, yeah, had a 700 par 65 yesterday. One of the lowest rounds in the history of the um, qualifying out there. And then uh, Ben Lorenz and Andrew Goodman from Norman uh, are the two Sooners. And, and they're all out there right now playing, except for Andrew's round starts at 2 o'clock, which is, I guess, 4 o'clock their time. So um, we're going to find out, you know, if any of these four guys can get through the first round of match play today and move on from there. But, um, you know, Andrew Goodman made it to the semifinals of the Western Amateur last week which is one of the most prestigious amateur tournaments in the country and a real grind because you play 72 holes of stroke play before you even get into the match play. So, And he's the one guy, you know, native from the state that's that's made it this far. And, you know, he, he had to shoot a 300-par round yesterday to make the cut on the number, and he did it. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, him advance this afternoon and make another deep run here. And while we're at it, we need to uh, throw out congratulations to Jet Johnson as well, who's the uh, head pro over at Quail Creek uh, there in Oklahoma City. Um, Tulsa Country Club, what a 7-under 63 to come from behind, wins the South Central PGA Professional Championship. If that name is familiar to any of you, 
That is the son of longtime PGA professional Johnny Johnson of Jimmy Austin OU Golf Course in Norman. So uh, congrats there to Jet in coming through and having a uh, a great final round there to take home the championship. Yeah, I was out there watching yesterday. He and Tracy Phelps were playing in the uh, penultimate group, the next to last group, and um, I was watching Tracy's incredible short game on displays. He missed like six greens in a row in regulation and got up and down from for par every time from places that it would have taken me three shots to even get on the green from. Uh, Tracy's short game is just so fun to watch, but I'm sure he'd rather been hitting greens and having chances for birdies. They did shoot three under, uh, which was the second best round of the day by far. None of the other guys even broke 70, which makes what Jed did, firing 63 out there. Uh, Tim Fleming, who's been a you know long time great pro in the section from Oklahoma State Golf and Country Club, came in after grinding and grinding for a one over 71. Said, sure, didn't see a 63 out there, but this guy was, you know, bombing at 320, 330 off the tee, hitting wedges in and making his putts. Made it look easy when you're on your game like that. Um, you know, golf is an easy game, I guess, so I would never know that. <laughs> I haven't had a 330-yard drive in my life. But, um, yeah, it was fun. It was fun to watch both those guys in the final group. They were um, putting on a show, Tracy, and, you know, with his short game and Jet with his long game. His brother, Thomas, uh, uh, fans or golfers may also recognize just finished his career at OU two years ago. Uh, was out on the mini tours for a while and and finally said, "This is not working out for me. I'm going to uh, going to join the club, join the family business." So he just took a job at Gallardia in Oklahoma City. So now they've got got three Johnsons as club professionals scattered throughout the state. And as we get set to wrap up, uh, the Corn Ferry Tour playoffs are beginning next week. We got several locals that are uh, there in the mix. Ken, I'll give you a chance to kind of just talk about a few of those. Yeah, um, Logan McAllister, who's a young man from Oklahoma City, uh, played at OU. He's been hanging that, right around that magic number of thirty, which is the cutoff of the people who will earn their PGA Tour cards for next year. Um, he had a top five finish last week and bounced back up to uh, 27th from 31st. And um, so really, you know, they have one more week of regular season play this weekend, and they go into the four-week Corn Ferry Tour playoffs. Um, Kevin Doherty's from OSU. He's, he's looking like he's definitely going to make it. Reem Gibson has been earned his PGA court, Tour card twice. Uh, he's the former Oklahoma Christian golfer who shot a 55 at River Creek. Uh, set a record for the lowest scoring round in, of anybody at any time, at one point in time. And, uh, you know, we've got some other guys that are still out there that have a chance, but um be really interesting to see how that goes. And then, of course, the uh, PGA Tour FedEx Cup playoffs are getting ready to go into their second week this week. And, and boy, Taylor Moore from Edmond, um, made a nice run last week. I thought he was going to have a chance to win that event, leading through 54 holes. Uh, but he's still right there, I think, in the top 10, isn't he? Um, I don't have it here in front of me, Pop, but um, you know, he's got a chance to win the FedEx Cup playoffs with another couple of strong weeks. So Right now, officially 14th uh, is Taylor Moore, and he's projected 14th, right there at 14th. So, yeah, an incredible story as well there for uh, for Mr. Moore. Ken, good stuff today, man. Appreciate you uh, for all the information here, and uh, we will definitely check in again with you next week.
Hop, thank you guys very much. Um, have a great weekend, and I'll, I'll talk to you next Wednesday. Sounds great. That is uh, Ken McLeod with uh, Golf Oklahoma and the Golf Oklahoma Report here on the Blitz 1170 and streaming live on the Blitz 1170 app. We need to take a quick time out. We'll come back with more next here on the Blitz, live from the Ike Chilliow Studios, serving four generations of Tulsa since 1908.